listening to Uncommon Democracy, a podcast shining light on the unique stories of everyday people who have a positive impact on their communities. Here is your host of Uncommon Democracy, Philip Oroka. In addition to the COVID-19 pandemic, 2020 has set records for the number of hurricanes we've experienced in the southeastern United States, and we're witnessing devastating wildfires across California and Oregon. Preserving our natural resources and countering the effects of climate change has never been more important. I had the opportunity to speak with Cameron Ross, a forester from northern Michigan. Cameron's job is to work with local landowners on preserving and protecting forests and nature in the Grand Travers, Leelanau, and Benzie Conservation Districts. We also talked about her experiences in the Peace Corps being sent to Paraguay after graduating from college and why she's opting to re-enroll in the Peace Corps some 30-plus years later. Well, Kim Ross, thank you so much for joining me today on Uncommon Democracy. Uh, it's a pleasure to have you on the podcast today. And, you know, we're going to talk about something that I think uh, everybody is affected by, um, and that's, you know, a lot around uh, climate change. Um, you know, you are a forester up in the uh, northern Michigan uh, uh, part of the state, uh, specifically uh, Grand Travers, Leelanau, and uh, kind of Benzie counties. Um, but, uh, you know, I don't think anybody really knows what a forester does, but I don't want to start there because <laughs> your love of nature really started uh, when you were growing up in um, uh, outside Chicago. Could you talk about uh, where that love of nature came from uh, and, you know, what kind of led you down the path of them becoming a, uh, a forester? Sure. Well, thank you for having me on your podcast. Um, this is going to be fun. Uh, yeah, so I grew up in uh, the suburbs of Chicago, Skokie specifically, and, you know, pretty typical suburban kid growing up in the 60s. Um, really uh, was aware of the environmental movement around me, but, you know, living in the suburbs, not much practical way to show it. Um, so luckily I had parents that loved to travel and, uh, family vacations and visits to family up North in uh, Wisconsin for me at that point, um, brought me closer to, um, the natural world. Um, and I was very fortunate to have an uncle who was a forester and he actually was a park. Um, he was in charge of a park in Northern Wisconsin, the Copper Fall State Park, and um, more so than anything, what I really uh, admired about him and his family was I saw a family that was very connected to nature, was very um, loving and caring and giving. And it seemed to make a huge impact when I was maybe in middle school, early high school. And um, uh, so that kind of led me on my path to think about uh, doing something outside of a suburban or Chicago area uh, future career. And so um, in high school, I did take an environmental science class. And my first project that I did, um, it was a spring project where I would go to our park um, uh, park park preserves in, in the Chicago area and really where we could only find nature other than the playground. So, um, and I was taking photos of, uh, spring happening 
And it was the, really the first time I took seriously the plants and animals around me. And um, it was a very simple, innocent little project that, you know, was just really started because I had to do it. But it really started me looking at things uh, in a different way and uh, just kind of snowballed and uh, finally figuring out that uh, there's a career called a forester and uh, I was going to be one too. So, yeah, I really thank my uncle, my uncle Kent Ackerman for being that inspiration and that mentor um, when I needed one. And uh, unfortunately, he passed away uh, quite recently, but uh, I like to think that his work goes on because I'm still I'm still working. Yeah, that's yeah, that's uh, that's that's a that's a wonderful story, and you know, it it really continues with uh, um, some some great work, and you know, r- really serving your country in the Peace Corps after college. Um, you know, I think you're you're probably the first and only person I've ever met that uh, has actually enrolled in the Peace Corps. You know, I'd love for you to talk a little bit about uh, your time. Uh, in the Peace Corps, and specifically uh, the tri- your trip down to Paraguay, um, and it's just working on local um, forestry issues uh, down in the, the country of Paraguay. Sure, sure. Well, yeah, um, so Peace Corps has you know, been around since the early 1960s, and there are tens of thousands of volunteers, returned Peace Corps volunteers, and of course, there were wonderful uh, volunteers all throughout the world that were called home very suddenly in March when COVID hit. So it's kind of a a program that's uh, on hold right now. But my experience with the Peace Corps definitely shaped my entire life. And, um, you know, you have to have a college degree to go into the Peace Corps. So obviously, really important skill to have and a very sought after one throughout the world um, for volunteers to have. So um, when I graduated in 1980 uh, from Michigan State University, there were no forestry jobs. So I had all this enthusiasm. I had quite a bit of experience, you know, in summer internships and, you know, out west, out in Germany. And I was ready to hit the world. And um, unfortunately, there was no no jobs at any level for foresters graduating in the early 80s. So um, I always wanted to do the Peace Corps. So it was like definitely telling me it's uh, it was the right choice. So I actually was married to another forester at the time, and we both went in as a married couple. And um, Paraguay was one of the few co- countries that wanted a couple with the same skill set um, to work together and live together and share a, in a community for the two and a half year experience. So um, Paraguay was not our first choice, but uh, I'm very thankful that we went to a country that pretty much didn't have a lot of U.S. influence. Most of the people I met or worked with had never had never met anyone, a United States citizen. They kept calling us uh, North Americans and or Americanos and, you know, kind of forgetting that we really kind of share that same stretch of the Americas together. But um, what that allowed us to do, though, is to share what who we were as Americans, as North Americans, United States citizens, people from Michigan, with people honestly and without any preconceived notions. So that was a real blessing. And I think it helped us feel like we were um, taken into the community um, quite quickly and honestly and sincerely. So living with a 
living with a community, a very small community, um, for two and a half years is uh, an incredible experience that I I wish to uh, do again because there's nothing like traveling. I love to travel, but nothing like living with people day in and day out and, you know, sharing their challenges and helping them with their their problems and then celebrating the success together, you know, over a long extended period of time. So as foresters, we were charged with starting uh, a tree nursery, a vivero, and we were trying to encourage native species. Um, So we found land. Um, We connected with a forestry technician who had just graduated from forestry school with a two-year degree. And he was our um, our guide to the culture and the working environment. And we shared technical experience, his, you know, the species that we were unfamiliar with and us um, right, out, right out of college and thought we knew so much. And we <laughs> we'd really tried, but um, we created a wonderful nursery and an office and an extension program working with local farmers to help um, them realize that cutting down the tropical forests of Paraguay was not in their best interest, but they were looking for uh, cash crops of cotton and soybean to help supplement their subsistence farming practices. And it was very enticing when the big companies came in and told them that if they cut the trees and planted the crops, they'd become very rich men. Um, But we knew better because we had already gone through it in the United States 200 years before. Um, So we really worked with landowners to try to get them to save some of those trees. And if they did clear them to to, um, do agroforestry projects where they're planting trees along with the crops that they wanted to grow so that they were holding the soil in place and building up the soil instead of, um, you know, farming it down every year. So it was a very uh, difficult job because, again, we had the hindsight. We already knew um, what happens when you clear cut, you know, trees and and not use the natural resources as they were meant to be used. But um, we had to kind of let them uh, kind of make some mistakes and, and be there for them when they were ready to do the right thing and, and do some restoration work. So um, what I found out, though, too, is that I came um, to Paraguay as a thoroughly modern, liberated college-educated forestry female. <laughs> and the 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 culture of Paraguay was not ready for me. Um, so that was um, certainly humbling. And um, I took me about a year, but I figured out that my skills and I was better suited to work with um, women mainly teachers. And so I uh, dis- I created an environmental education program with five little one-room um, one schoolhouses in the communities um, around my main, my, my, my main town. And uh, I would teach the teachers and the students in Spanish. And then they would, the teacher would translate into Guarani, the Indian um, language that they commonly spoke in the elementary school. So Um, That was incredibly fun and actually then set me on my path to actually where I am now, where I really think educating at all levels, but um, youth is really uh, should be an important part of every day of my life. So, yeah, um, Paraguay, it was a great place to be. Um, We also built a wing on the high school. We created a village park. You know, I taught English, cooking classes for the young teens and 
Um, I became a godparent uh, for a woman in her wedding. I mean, I was a part, we were a part of that town and um, I never went back, which is really hard, but uh, it's a long way away and a very expensive flight. So it hasn't happened. <laughs> it is yet, a long so. way away. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yeah, certainly. Well, you know, I, I think certainly a lot of the, um, a lot of the, the things that you, that that you did down there, creating an environmental sustainability program, working with kids, uh, that certainly plays out to uh, what you're doing right now. But could you talk a little bit about your job as the regional forester uh, in Grand Traverse, Benzie, and Leelanau, um, uh conservation districts? What do you primarily do, uh, and you know, wh- who do you really work with in the in the local community? Yeah, so I work um, as through the Forestry Assistance Program, and it's a grant-funded uh, Michigan Department of Agriculture and Rural Development grant that goes to the local units called conservation districts. And each uh, county in the state of Michigan and throughout the country have a conservation district. Um, they were formed. Um, after the Dust Bowl, and so um, answering the needs of local communities um, with their natural resources concerns. So it started out with farmers, but now, especially in the area, the Benzie, Leland, on Grand Traverse um, area, it's more, you know, forestry concerns. It's more about high water level concerns. It's about non-native species. It's about sustainable agriculture. So it's really morphed into what your our community needs um, from the residents. So my forestry program um, concentrates on the private sector. So in Michigan, um, 54% of our forest land is owned by the private landowner, you and me, not the U.S. government, not the state, not the park service, not the um, not the corporations like a big uh, paper mill. It's you and me who own small acreages. And um, the state of Michigan thinks that knows that that resource is really important for the health and sustainability of everybody. And um, all the reasons why we know a forest is uh, important and the 5,000 plus products that we rely on a forest that we get from a forest and we rely on every day. But so they support to work um, with landowners. So I provide free on-site technical on-site assistance. Um, So a a landowner can call the conservation district and schedule a site visit. And I come go out to their land and whether they have 10 acres or they have 500 acres, I get to walk the property with a landowner. I get to listen to what their um, history is with a landowner, possibly, you know, many generations in their family, um, some of the goals and objectives they have for owning that property and kind of the concerns that they see. And as we walk, I kind of take those teachable moments as we walk along to point out insect and disease concerns, um, maybe biodiversity issues where they're losing species and and um, maybe some possibilities to harvest some trees in a sustainable manner to generate income for the family. Really, whatever the landowner is looking uh, to do so that they are the most active uh, steward of that property, and it's also that it's based on science. Um, forestry is the science of tending a forest, the trees together, not a certified arborist that looks at, 
each individual tree on its own, but as the whole ecosystem and all the challenges that we have right now um, with climate change and um, our global society bringing in so many non-native pests, um, it's um, doing nothing is sometimes not the best option anymore. So I'm very, as a forester, I'm a utilizer. You know, a forester um, values the products that we take from a forest in a way that uh, makes sure that those products are there in the future too. But um, so I encourage landowners to, to be active and to really consider all their options um, before they make a decision on whatever management direction they go in towards. Yeah, and you know one of the things that I I think is 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 really really difficult when we have a conversation maybe with our neighbors about climate change, uh, is that it's really difficult to see climate change in our local community, right? See it in in our see it with our own two eyes. Uh, you know we know that the um, that that the the ocean temperatures have been going up. We see hurricanes that have become way more uh, aggressive and um, uh, we and and frequency and you know we see uh, more frequent uh, wildfires in California so I'm just curious you know if if you're going out and you're talking to a landowner and somebody like myself you know I live on a, a very nice uh, third of an acre outside of the city of Chicago um, you know, what are things that I can do or maybe, uh, you know, a smaller landowner that a quarter acre, a uh, fifth of an acre, what are small things that we can do to try to help preserve uh, our natural resources, but then also help preserve, uh, you know, our land so that the next generation can uh, enjoy it uh, and, you know, not uh, have a negative experience with it? Sure. That's that's exactly the point of why I um, I go out and I visit people one on one so that we can have that personal conversation because it's going to look different for everybody. But um, I think the most important thing that I share with somebody is that, you know, you are the you are the steward of that prop that property. And that's a huge responsibility. It's a very short in, in the whole time frame of forest, you know, our lifetime of stewardship is, you know, just maybe a couple of decades or so. But um, what we can do during that can make huge differences for the good, for the better or for the worse. So really making sure that you're number one, being out there, you know, whether you've got a third of an acre in the Chicago land area or again, hundreds of acres um, in a more rural setting, being out there and observing and spending time as much as time as possible out to learn from it. I w actually had a site visit with a woman yesterday that just was so inspiring to me. You know, she's out there walking her property every single day and she's so in tune with the changes and, and monitoring the, when, when things aren't quite the same and, and then, you know, critically thinking what's going on. And if she can't figure out why maybe that tree is looking a different this year than um, asking the professionals to, to help her with uh, figuring it out. So number one is just to be, to be that steward that's connected to your, to whatever size property you're the steward of. And that just takes time sitting out there, maybe sometimes by yourself, 
silently listening, using all your senses to kind of connect with that with that piece of property so that you can tell when something's not quite right. Um, you know, Google's, Google's uh, Googling things all the time. I just think, you know, the opportunity to learn if we take the time to use our uh, ability of critical thinking, um, a lot of these challenges with climate change are showing themselves in very subtle ways if we are looking for them. Um, you know, people will say, gosh, there seems like there were a lot of such and such a bug this year, or didn't seem like, you know, I had to water as much. I mean, if we think about it, it's, you know, nature is telling us what is going on and how we can be in, 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 uh, in tune with it. Um, as a forester, too, you know, we're looking for insect and diseases, and those are going to be getting worse when climate change uh, puts more stress on our trees. So if we're getting less consistent rainfall or we're getting, you know, huge amounts of wind or huge rain events, um, no snow or too much snow, you know, it's just all these changes from the normal are going to put pressure on our trees and then the insects and the non-native insects and um, diseases are going to be more detrimental, more um, going to, you know, provide more failure for these trees because they just can't take it. So um, knowing when it's time to call a professional, um, I was out yesterday with beech bark disease. It's a huge problem for so, so many people, but Northern Michigan's getting hit right now. And it's um, exasperated by the climate change because this, the, the beach were already looking not really well. And now they get this little scale insect, you know, piercing through the bark, sucking sap, you know, just in the thousands and thousands on one tree. And that then allows a fungus, a non-native fungus to get into the tree, create a canker and create a, a, a point where the tree is going to fail. A, a windstorm, not much of a windstorm is going to take that big, huge, beautiful, beach canopy down because um, a canker developed from a non-native fungus on the on the tree that a non-native scale insect allowed a hole in to get through to the vascular system. So it's all connected. And what landowners need to be to be good stewards is just looking, looking up, looking down, thinking about why things are looking the way they are and notice the change. So yeah. yeah, and I'm I'm really really happy you brought up the um, the beech trees because uh, in in the area that I I frequent up in uh, Traverse City, um, the little peninsula that my family has a a summer house on, um, we were out there and uh, one of the things that my my parents had mentioned to me is that uh, about 95 97 percent of those trees are going to die. Um, and, you know, the first question I had to my parents was, okay, well, how do we maybe, how do we, how do we solve that process, that problem, or how do we, you know, make the impact of all those trees dying a little bit less? Um, and I think their, their answer, which, which came from you was, well, first of all, you can't, uh, but what you can do is you can try to plant native trees uh, in the local area that are then going to replace those trees. Um, so it, 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 it really makes you think, you know, how, um, uh, uh, how, you know, thin and how fine, how such a, is a, such a fine line between success and long-term sustainability versus, you know, one little, uh, I could get this wrong, uh, beetle is going to make 
such a huge impact in the um, the local community um, and, and in preserving the national resources. So uh, one thing I know that um, I wanted to, to get you to talk about is you do a lot of work with kids and you do a lot of work with schools uh, in the Grand Travers uh, area. Could you talk a little bit about what you do and 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 um, it, that really seems to be one of your most uh, important parts of being a, a forester. Well, it is because I'm also a mother. And so, yeah, raising three children in a, in a log cabin that we built with our own trees, you know, cut them down, peeled the bark off and laid them down and raised a family. Um, my kids now, of course, don't live in the woods with me. They live in New York City and Chicago and Los Angeles, but but they are extremely, uh, uh, they, they grew up very connected to the natural resources and have made choices based on that. But I don't know if, I, I know a lot of kids don't get that. You know, even kids that live in more rural areas like northern Michigan, they don't necessarily have um, the connection that um, I know is so important that so that we have stewards, future stewards um, that are going to be making the right decisions or choosing the right leaders in government and in in important um, areas of our community that are going to make sure that our natural resources are preserved and, and properly managed. So yeah, connecting those kids early. And we all know that it takes time to develop that connection. So we have to start early. So preschoolers, um, I was just with a mother this morning who had her, um, her eight month old on her, on her backpack and she was sorting uh, bare root seedlings with us getting ready for fall tree planting. Um, and the kid was fine. I mean, <laughs> you know, he was touching the trees and just having a ball and um, that's where it takes letting kids be out in nature, um, not being afraid of the dark or a, a wild animal and, and really getting them to, to feel what's at stake personally on a level that only comes from experience it. And, and that can happen in the city because it happened to me. I mean, it happened in the forest preserves of, of Cook County. It can happen in any, any area. You don't have to have a hundred acres for a kid to run in, but you do have to let them run and you do have to let them use their senses and their, their joy at investigating to, to, to earn that um, commitment that we need from everybody as we go forward facing more devastating um, challenges that we can imagine. I am sure this is, it seems pretty bleak some days with climate change, but I have a feeling that we're going to have some really bleak days coming forward and we're going to need everybody working together. And that starts with having that personal commitment. Um, yeah. So yeah. yeah, working with kids is, uh, and it's a joy because they remind you how fun it is. You know, if I can share with them some, some of those fun little things, um, how you can tell a spruce tree from a fir tree. It's so simple. Once you know, someone shows you and I can show, I can show a four-year-old and they could tell me, um, right back what the difference is. So, you know, really forestry, especially in Northern Michigan, we only have 80, about 80 native species, you know, which sounds like a lot, but really it's not. And, you know, compared to, let's say if you lived in uh, Costa Rica or, you know, a tropical rainforest. So, you know, I, I think it's, 
I think it's a challenge to work with kids, but of course, being a forester, I want to be outside. Kids like being outside. It's a natural fit for me. So yeah. Yeah. I love yeah. And I can, I can certainly think that, um, uh, you know, when you're, when your kids, you know, for, our, for our listeners, uh, at home, um, you know, your, your kids are in their, their, uh, late twenties, early thirties. And, um, I could, I could think that, um, or at least I like to think that, you know, if they're, if they're walking by a tree in New York or Chicago or California, they're going to go, Oh, you know, here's, you know, they're going to think about mom, right? They're, they, they probably are going to, are going to think about mom, but, um, you know, one of the one of the things I was really excited to talk to you about as well uh, is, um, you know, you're you're at a time in your career where a lot of people are considering retirement. Um, but uh, up until uh, the uh, covid pandemic hit, you were slated to re-enroll in the Peace Corps. Uh, could you talk a little bit about, you know, what kind of led you to want to re-enroll in the Peace Corps and uh, where were you headed this year? Yeah, well, it's it's still I'm still headed there. It's just delayed, but yeah. So you know, when I was a Peace Corps volunteer at um, age 21, I really thought I had something to offer, and so I went there with a lot of enthusiasm and um, my college degree and and what I learned very quickly and definitely solidified is that. I knew nothing, <laughs> but, um, I had a lot of energy and I had a lot of, you know, strength and I, I shared a lot, but now, you know, after decades of working as a forester and an environmental educator here and honing my skills, I can really say pretty much with confidence that I do help people well each day that I work. Um, I'm able to share with them the information that they're seeking to be better stewards. And so I now have a confidence. Um, and, um, I think I always did want to return to that Peace Corps experience as an, as a more mature adult. And so I did look into, you know, as I retire, you know, my friends were, you know, having some great experiences, but something I wasn't done, um, with, sharing and serving. So I did apply um, last year for the, the Gambia. It's in Western Africa. It's the smallest country in the con- on the continent. And um, they had a wonderful program, um, mainly agroforestry, um, which is, you know, combining the forestry with agriculture, mainly working with women and families so that we can um, provide for a more sustainable food system for that that family and that community, and also make sure that we're building up the soil through good um, agroforestry practices and um, making sure that um, their food supply would be um, secure for the future. And we all know that that's a huge need throughout Africa, but that really spoke to me. I really thought that's where I wanted to share my skills again. So, um, I also felt that I've been doing this job for a while and when I do a workshop and I have just wonderful uh, audiences, but I thought, felt like I was kind of starting to preach to the choir, that old saying The people in my community, I'm very happy with They're They're very connected to the, to the natural resources. They're very well educated. They want to learn more. So they're always asking the right questions. So I really think they're doing a great job. And I just wonder if my skills and my time left that I would be able to serve 
um, overseas um, would be better, um, would be a better fit maybe with a new kind of challenge um, and maybe working with women and families in the Gambia uh, for a couple of years is a great way to finish out my professional career. So that's my plan. And Peace Corps is telling me that they're hoping for November of 2021. So that's, that's what I'm, I'm going to hope, hope for. Yeah. And we're all, we're all hoping for uh, late spring, early summer, uh, 2021 <laughs> to, to find a, uh, a vaccine so we can uh, get back to some semblance of uh, a normal life. But, you know, I just um, I have a huge respect for you just, you know, with with regards to volunteering for the Peace Corps. Um, you know, the 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 podcast is really dedicated to people who are positively impacting their community um, and trying to tell stories of people that, you know, we might not know about. And um, I just it, um, uh, it's 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 been such such a great time talking with you about what you do, your love for nature. Um, one more question, though, before we go. Uh, that uh, I think you'll have a great answer to is, and it's it's a question that we ask all of our guests. How can people get involved in their community, uh, and what advice would you give people um, to you know make a positive impact on their community? And you know some people feel comfortable doing that through not for profit volunteering. Some people are comfortable running for political office. Um, you know, what, what advice would you give to, to, to people in your local community or, or our, our listeners at home? Yeah, I think it's, I think, um, actions speak louder than words. And I think with our natural resources, um, I think they're just calling us to be those active stewards that with good science behind us, we all can be. And so that could look like planting a tree today. I mean, fall is a wonderful time to plant conifers, your pines, your spruces, your firs. Um, get out there and plant something, transplant something from your neighbor's yard that she's got too much of, or maybe you can give to your neighbor on the other side that um, doesn't have. You know, always be planting, whether it's a garden of vegetables, flowers, and trees, and shrubs, and wildflowers. Just get out there and, and add to the diversity um, that's really being threatened by our climate change. We do have a program where we try to encourage people to bring non-native uh, species from southern Michigan up to northern Michigan to kind of fill that void that beech bark disease and Dutch elm disease and um, oak wilt is causing in our forests. So, you know, looking at hackberry or swamp white oak or tulip poplar, sassafras, and, you know, maybe aiding their um, a migration north to a place where they're going to be more suited when the climate warms up up north. But the other thing is just, you know, sharing your passion or your interest with your neighbors, your family, your friends, your coworkers, you know, speak up, um, adding diversity in your little one-third acre and in rural and rural Michigan or, or, or suburban Chicago is possible by, you know, eliminating uh, monoculture, which is your lawn. You know, we can save energy and we can create more habitat for all the insects and birds and mammals that, you know, we share this world with by, you know, creating the habitat that we know nurtures that 
relationship that we all benefit from and the connection. And join a conservation group. Um, I recently had a site visit with our Michigan director for the Nature Conservancy. You know, there are so many different types of environmental groups out there, local and national, that really help us um, collectively do more work than we can on our own. So, um, and what I talk to every kid and every adult I talk to is remember, we need to just, you know, consume a little less every day, make a choice to, to do a little bit less, um, fossil fuel or plastic use. And remember your, you know, your four hours of refusing, reducing, reusing and recycling. And so that the resources that we do have and that we're trying to manage well can be spread um, out and, and shared by all more than just those that are fortunate to have it right here in our backyard. So um, I just think we all can make a positive change and we can make it in little ways every day by making some actions that are, that speak louder than words. Um, So I, yeah, I, that's what a forester does every day. Just kind of sharing our passion for what the forest ecosystem, this system brings to us. I love it. And, you know, it certainly brings to mind, um, you know, we're in the process, my my, my wife and I, of uh, doing some work in our backyard. Uh, and uh, it makes me think, you know, man, we got to we have to figure out where to put a nice tree because we're, we're taking out a whole bunch of uh, of uh, uh, buckthorn, which is a, uh, a locally uh, invasive uh, species. And um, uh, we definitely want to uh, replace it with something that's going to be uh, long-term and friendly to the environment. But, um, uh, Kama, it was it's just a pleasure to, to uh, uh, chat with you. I know so many of our listeners are going to enjoy our conversation. Um, if there's anything else you can tell us about the uh, Forestry Assistance Program, or, or where, where can our listeners find more information about you and if they live up in northern Michigan, uh, how they can get in contact with you? Sure. So I am one of 20 foresters sharing this position. So we cover about 50 counties throughout northern Michigan and the UP. Um, Other states probably have a similar forestry uh, division that provides uh, private landowner assistance, but it's called the Forestry Assistance Program. So if you Google that, then a map will come up with all the counties in Michigan. You just press on the county that you're interested in finding out if there's a forester for, and you'll get our contact information. So yeah, I welcome anyone interested in learning more about their forests and how they can be a better steward of their land. Thank you. Great. Thanks, Kama. Uh, it's a pleasure. Uh, I, uh, um, I hope uh, we get to see each other soon as I'll be making my way back up to, to Traverse City in a few days. Uh, and uh, sure. but if we don't if we don't cross paths, uh, all the best to you uh, as you make your second trip into the Peace Corps. And <laughs> I know the people of, of Gambia are uh, are going to be excited to have you there uh, in the near future. Thanks so much for, for joining us on the podcast. Thank you. If you know someone who should be featured on an upcoming show, email us at uncommondemocracy at gmail.com. And don't forget to follow us on Twitter and Instagram. Thank you for listening to Uncommon Democracy. 